Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and I hope you are safe and well as you tune in this week. On this week's episode of the show, we're going to be looking at what Croke Park is doing to become more sustainable in terms of the food that they serve at various events there. So stay tuned for that one. And a little bit later, we're looking at Science Week across the Midlands and the uh, events that are taking place in particular we're going to highlight the ones that are tackling um, climate change and having discussions around that. But, you know, there's loads and loads of events happening this week in, across the Midlands for Science Week. So be sure and check out Midlands Science Week. Just go on to Google and um, search an event near you. But first things first, we're now officially in winter. And, you know, the clocks went back the other week and the the days are getting a little bit shorter. Daylight is at least and the evenings are getting darker. And while we know that getting out and about and enjoying the environment is good for us on a physical and mental level, how do we enjoy the environment around us but keep ourselves safe at the same time? What sort of practical precautions should we be taking? And to discuss this in a little bit more detail, we're joined by Sergeant Graeme Kavanagh, who is the Crime Prevention Officer for Leash and Offaly. Graeme, you're very welcome back to Let's Go Green. Hi, Ashley. How are you? Not too bad at all. Graeme, like, and I, I said this to you over the phone when we were setting this up, like sometimes as human beings, we can be a little bit, let's say, irresponsible with our own safety and do silly things. Um, and... This is about us maybe, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in, you know, being out and about and maybe on the phone or listening to earphones that we might not think about our own personal safety as much as we should. So, you know, let's start this off with if you're somebody who loves going for a walk in the evening, um, maybe it's with the dog or whatever, but now the evenings are getting darker Um you know, there is an assumption that if you're in, in an urban area and you've got streetlights that you don't really need high vis, you know, like what sort of practical steps could we be taking and still get that exercise, still get that dose of fresh air in in the evenings? Yeah. So you're, if you're like me, that's left it till winter to actually get back off the backside and get out walking. I'm one of those people. I've sat on my bum for the last two years and now I've decided now to go walking. And yeah, I mean, I suppose... <laughs> Park up the crime prevention piece. Um, anybody that's out using the roads, whether they're cycling or walking, even in the daylight hours, you increase the chance of you being seen if you're wearing something that's reflective. Okay. Um, and that's even in the daylight hours. That's why we, that's why people are encouraged to use their daylight running lights on the cars because there's an increased chance you'll be seen by the road users if the lights are on on the car. Um. So, yeah, look, I'm seeing it myself um, and I'm on the roads quite a bit, both in urban and rural settings. And people will go out walking and maybe if they're lucky enough to get out, maybe at four in the afternoon. And they go out for a walk and they're gone for an hour by five o'clock. It's gone a bit darker. Um, or I've seen it the night and I was in Tullamore and people running across the road at half eight in the evening. And yes, the street lighting, but it's not that good. And if it's wet, that reduces visibility for a driver. Um, and 
dark clothing on them. You know, if you're going out for a walk, even if it's going down to the shops or popping down to somebody, a high-vis vest, probably you get them free in most places. Mm-hmm. The RSA have them on their website. We're always giving them out. We get them off the RSA. Um, there's any amount of them. Um, have one. They're small. They're easy to carry. Just have one if you're going out for a walk. Um, I, I saw a young lad cycling on the Charlotte Road in Tullamore there during the evening. He had an orange hood. Um, but that was the only bit of visibility he had. And he had a hoodie up over the orange hood. So all I could see was a fleck of orange. And he's cycling at seven o'clock in the evening. He probably went out earlier that day when it was bright. Um, and that's the whole planning thing that we always talk about. That's the bit we talk about for safety, like, you know. So safety is not just about being a victim of a crime. It's keeping yourself physically safe from other road users and I, I watch this battle, especially on social media, all the time. Everybody, I talk about Ireland, everybody in Ireland seems to think they all have a, more of an entitlement to be on the roads than the other road user. So there's that eternal battle between pedestrians, cyclists, mm-hmm. drivers, farmers, everybody Everybody gives everybody, everybody else. We all have an equal responsibility. We all have an equal right to be on the roads. Um, and we just need to, this road safety message. And I know my organization gets criticized about visibility, but we all have a responsibility when we use the roads to use them responsibly. Um, and that would be a major contributor to, uh, unfortunately, a lot of road deaths is that we, we let slip a little bit. Yeah. Um, we go out for the walk or we go out for the cycle and it's bright when we do it. And then it's dark when we're coming home and we're not seeing and we have fatalities then sometimes because of that, you know. And it is like, it's simple things like having the high vis with you. Like, and like, as you say, they're really light. Like if you have, you know, any kind of jacket with a pocket on it and you're going out during the day, just stick the high vis in the pocket. You know, it's, it doesn't take up that much space. And like, I'm guilty of it myself. The other thing is as well, and I noticed this, particularly since the pandemic and more and more people have gotten dogs, that there's more and more dogs out off the lead. Now, look, yeah. I've mentioned Juno on the show before. She's a Jack Russell. I can't take the risk of having her off the lead because if she sees another dog, she will go for it. And that's just who she is, right? Small dog syndrome. Small dog syndrome. She's a rescue. I only got her when she was three and whatever happened before she got, I got her, my hands in her, you know, other dogs and her don't mix. So I've, you know, I know that and I have to take precautions. But when you're driving, like even a little dog, like a Jack Russell, like even though like in her case, she's white and brown, um, they can be very hard to see. And I have seen people with, um, oh God, like flashing collars and like high-vis jackets for the dog. And when you see them in shops, you kind of laugh out loud and you go, God, that's a bit crazy. That's a bit daft, isn't it? But then if you see a dog running out in front of you across the road, I kind of get why they exist. Yeah, I've seen exactly what you're talking about. I've seen the dogs with the high-vis vests on them and and the person walking them and nothing on them, you know? yeah. Um, like it's, you know there's, there's actually great clothing wear there like for, for people that are walking or running where it has a reflective quality designed into it so I've seen jackets that they're reversible so it's just a fleece normal and you can turn it inside out and the reflective quality of this jacket you, you stick out like a lighthouse in the ocean like you cannot miss the person you know but I mean it, I see this all the time you know and it does it is frustrating people at walking and um, people out running and nothing on them, you know, and, and even like it's seven, half seven in the morning, it's still not great out, you know, mm-hmm. we should be doing it all times, you know, um, and then enforcement and all that, like really, do we need to be enforcing that, you know, 
this is part of keeping ourselves safe, you know. It's personal responsibility. Yeah, exactly, you know. I do wonder, and I know, and we're not getting into the school uniform conversation because that could take hours, but I do wonder why when there are school uniform jackets in some schools that that, that's not compulsory. If it's it's a uniform, why isn't it compulsory that it has reflective um, bands or something built into it? But hey, like that's a whole other argument. Graeme, then what about like, I know myself, if I'm coming home from a night out, I always pick up the phone to call somebody. Like if I'm out late, I'm on the phone and I'm telling them where I am. And that might sound paranoid, but it 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 helps me feel like I'm keeping myself safe. Or I might, you know, send a text to a friend and say, you know, arrived, you know, I'm such and such a spot, you know, just to let somebody know. Um, and I think, you know, there's an awful lot of, particularly in the cities, there's an awful lot of conversation around an increase in crime. And I'm wondering, like that, that that habit of being on the phone to make yourself feel safe, does that then take away, well, your awareness of what's going on around you? Like, I, I find it hard to know what the right thing to do is. Yeah, OK, I suppose, you see, the advice we give plans, uh, planning your night, your night or whatever, like even if you're going to exercise and planning your night or planning what you're doing, letting people know where you're going, when you'll be back. Avoiding areas that you know are trouble spots. Mm-hmm. Never trying to negotiate with drunk or, I suppose, aggressive people and being streetwise. Um, like, it doesn't matter whether it's, I suppose, my big towns or Tullamore, Port Leash or Borough. It doesn't matter whether it's them towns or whether it's in Dublin city centre. There are places that are, I suppose, hot spots. Um, and that goes into a whole other area that I'm passionate about, why we build these places the way we build them and we put the facilities where we put them and we draw people that are struggling in life into an area and you get this behaviour, you know. Um, so like, I came into this talk with a group of 16-year-olds the other day on the TY programme and like, I'm not naive enough to think that they're not probably out socialising at this stage. Mm-hmm. Probably shouldn't be, but they are. And at that age, you're invincible. You don't think of these things, you know. But it's having that like conversation now as a parent, like you're going out grand. They let me know when you'll be back. Kids are the worst for answering the phone. They'll snap Snapchat you quicker than answer a phone call or WhatsApp you or text you. But you're right. The thing about having the phone out, it depends on where you are, you know. Um, having the phone out is a distraction if you're walking or cycling or driving. Um, but also if it's probably a target sometimes for some criminals that if the phone is out it's easy to swipe and take um, I don't see that as an issue in the Midlands I've, I haven't seen them sort of crimes being reported to us um, but definitely tracker like there's I, I, I get, I, I'm not going into the whole hysteria of having all these apps and all on your phones I mean people are out walking on greenways people are out walking I, I walk up the Schlieve Bloom I meet people women on their own or in couples or in groups out walking. They're not afraid. They're out walking, you know, but there's always that fear, I suppose. Um, but it's just having a plan in a group. If you're if you're going out on your own, just letting people know where you are, when you'll be back, you know. Yeah. OK. And it's about having a bit of common sense. Like we say, like if you're going out and you know it's going to get dark, have some kind of high vis with you. Like, yeah. you know, like you wouldn't go up hiking up the mountains without a drink, you know, like some kind of water. So like, why would Don't you it. go? OK, right. OK. <laughs> But like, you know, I think it is it's it's about us maybe just thinking a bit because we're so under pressure, like we're all trying to get through the day and get the jobs done or get people collected. And sometimes it just takes, you know what, let's just have a think about what I'm doing here, like what's in the jacket, what have I got on me? And and like you say, plan ahead and then let somebody know where you are. And like 
that might people might feel, oh, I'm being a bit daft. But actually, do you know what? If it makes you feel a bit safer, like, you know, send a WhatsApp message to the best pal and say, going for a walk there now in the Greenway, um, I'll give you a call in an hour. And if you don't call in an hour, they know there's a reason to be concerned. And it might give everybody a, a sense of confidence. But you mentioned the, the planning um, part of this. And like around environmental conversations, there's an awful lot of talk about um, smarter travel and pedestrianizing streets and keeping cars out of town centers. And, you know, the, we have these conversations, but um, I remember from speaking to you on the show about this before, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that the thinking is that if you have on a roadway, a cycling path, a pedestrian path and road, that if you have multiple avenues for people to use it, then that reduces crime because there's more people using it. Whereas when you reduce that down, it does become a bit of a risk. Yeah, the whole thing is increased visibility, you know. Yeah. Um, the thing we do in Ireland is we, we we build and sometimes people don't use use it the way we want. So we end up with things called desire lines. So you, you look at maybe a pedestrian crossing the town and there could be a line of hedging along beside running perpendicular to it. And you'll see holes in the hedge where people have decided I'm not using the pedestrian crossing. I'll use this little hole in the hedge to cross the road and the pedestrian crossing is 30 feet down from it, you know. But yeah, the whole idea with all the, the multiple use of a location is increased. More people use it. People feel safe to use it. It increases visibility. So if somebody decides they're going to do something, there's increased chance that they're seen. It's a deterrent. Now, the complete flip side of all that, and it flies in the face of what we're talking about is Time and time again, I watch stuff on social media where uh, young males are stealing motorbikes or st- stealing bikes in the middle of the city centre uh, with plenty of people around, you know. Um, but there's a market for them. That's why they're mm-hmm. doing that. They're a market yeah. for them. People are buying the parts or buying the bikes or sometimes just buying them to rally them around. Um, it's it's how we secure them, where we're parking them. You know, it's all down to... That's part of the work that we try to do as crime prevention officers is to try, and it's a struggle, is to try and get in with architects and planners about if you're doing this, let us see the drawings at this design stage. And I'm not, it's not a criticism. All it is is we know crime. You know how to design. And it's trying to complement the two things, you know? Yeah, and it is. And like, and like in any town, like I think, you know, sometimes in the Midlands, we can have um, the opinion that all the bad stuff happens in Dublin. And that we yeah. don't need to be that we don't need to be cognizant of our own personal safety when we're out and about in the Midlands. But like, you know, the roads are dark, you know, things happen, accidents happen even like, you know, um, and like the and like making yourself visible to another motorist, letting someone know where you are. It it is just about, you know, doing what you can. You know, nothing nothing's gonna prevent everything, you know, but at least, you know, taking reasonable steps and and talking to young kids about that you know, about, you know, leading by example, not if you have a child nearby running across the road, walk up to the pedestrian crossing. And I know we all do it. We all cut across and we shouldn't because we're in a rush. Um, But maybe trying to be cognizant of young people in our lives and showing them at least the right way of doing things. Yeah, there's actually one area and I know it's kind of part of the whole, um, I suppose, environmentally friendly is the use of uh, scooters. Mm-hmm. Um electric scooters. I mean, I'm seeing kids 15, 16 going to schools on them. They're fast. They're very fast. Um, and I know there's legislation there, but like I, I am, I'm of this mindset, bringing all the legislation you want. Enforcement is key to it, but 
like when we bring in these things, it's, it, it, there has to be some sort of control mechanism on it. You know, you shouldn't be able to give it an electronic scooter to an individual that's can't even get a driving license and yet they can flit around at 30 kilometers an hour on it with no helmet and no high vis and think that they're going to be safe. And we do see instances of that happening where they're knocked down and, you know, it's it's a discussion point. Everything everything generally gets dumped to put on Garda Giacana to enforce or to, to police when we have to stand back sometimes and think, hold on, is this, ethically, is this right? Yeah. Logically, yeah. is it right, you know? Um, like I, I, a completely different, I suppose, we're living, I suppose, if you look around Tullamore, Abbey Leaks, uh, even up uh, around the Bloom, this time of year, this is completely going off on a tangent, but there's a bigger chance you're actually get run into the likes of deer. Yeah. On the roads at the minute. Um, see quite a lot of that at night time in the, in the later hours. Um, then coming across a pedestrian, you know, yeah. um, and having that sort of accident, thank God, and I hope it don't tempt fate. But again, it goes back to the simple thing. We need to change the way we go out or around when we do things. And it's not the crime piece. It's just the road safety thing. That is the biggest concern and the biggest worry. Yeah. Our, our road deaths are increasing, unfortunately. Um, and there's always that mix of the different types of road users. And nobody wants that to visit their home, you know. So what we do is we try and reduce the chances of it happening to us, whether it's where drivers or pedestrians or cyclists or whatever, um, and just do the simple things that don't cost loads of money um, and have the high vis with you. And I think as well for parents of teenagers, like something to be aware of around the e-scooters and particularly at this time of year, like teenagers know how to hack these e-scooters and as I understand it it's quite straightforward to look up a YouTube video on how to hack this scooter that's supposed to only go to 30 kilometers an hour and to increase that substantially and give it more power like chipping like chipping in cars same thing yeah yeah and, I know I know and but like I, but, you have to sorry, keep an eye if you're going to buy one of these things for a teenager you're going to have to take responsibility and keep and make sure that you know how to do these things yourself as well so that you can undo it if necessary yeah and, and and that's that eternal discussion we buy them phones and yet they're using apps that we don't even know why they exist what their reasons are how to we buy them devices I know there's legislation true about phones for kids in primary school settings but that's really that's just going to be a guidance you know if you buy a device for a young child you need to know how that device works what they're how to restrict access what they're using and check the thing it should yeah. be checked every day like this thing of and I've I've seen this when I used to do the schools and I was in community policing kids have an access to social media platforms that they shouldn't have access to but the parents don't even know how to use them themselves you know yeah um, and, and it's the word and I know Sorry. it's not an environmental um, topic here, but like people, there's a, there's a particular issue with YouTube kids or, well, they just have access to Wi-Fi. They just have access to Wi-Fi means they have access to everything, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. and and just because it's YouTube kids doesn't mean it's safe. You know, that's not how the Internet works. So like, yeah, it's it's really hard like to keep an eye on all of these things. It is. It is. But that's down to if you don't know how to use it yourself, then don't be letting the kid have access to it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And just back to the original topic of going out for a run or a, a walk or a jog or whatever it might be. And if you're going on your own in particular, like, you know, OK, you wear the high vis, let somebody know 
where you're going and, and when you expect to be coming back. Um, I know for women, it is a particular concern. Like I know when I'm walking on my own, like I, I don't go for a walk on my own without the dog. And even, and even at that, I am looking around me. Like there's, there's no question about it. Um, you hear of women walking with the house keys, you know, split in amongst the in the fingers. Like, yeah. do we need to go to that level? We shouldn't have to. And I know, I mean, I'm, I, I personally, I'm trying to avoid, I suppose, the, the obvious mm-hmm. uh, case that's only fin- finalised this week, you know. Um, and we shouldn't have to live our lives like that, you know. Um, any amount of advice, straightforward advice, is always, I suppose, um, is pointless when when we see what happened to, to Ashling, you know. Yeah. Um, but in reality, like people are still out walking, they're still out um, exercising, they're still using all these amenities, you know. Um, I'd never advise somebody to be having to carry a key like that, you know. Yeah. You're 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 better with a pair of people than one person on their own, no matter where you are or where yeah. what you're doing, you know. Traveling numbers, traveling a group. Um, I'd find I like walking on my own. Sometimes better having somebody with you because you can chat away and it makes the walk pain in the legs go disappear a lot easier oh I do far more exercise when I'm with somebody else than I do when I'm on my own because if I'm if I have someone to talk to the time passes much easier altogether um but like that and that is something to mention that like you know there are so many groups that you can like if you are nervous and you want to get out and get that bit of fresh air there are loads of walking groups in all sorts of like from villages right up to larger towns. And even I know at this time of year, like GA centers will, will turn on the floodlights in the evening times. And do you know there there are venues where you can do it in comfort? Yeah. And and the thing is, I see these and people are using them on their own or in small groups. So they wouldn't be using if they didn't feel safe. Exactly. Like yeah. That's the one thing I always say. You know, if if the if people didn't feel safe, they wouldn't be going out doing this exercise, whether it's at 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. You know, people are still using them, you know, um, we we cannot physically be everywhere. Even if we had 50,000 guards in the country, we still cannot be everywhere at every point and junction around the country. But it's, I suppose knowing where you're using what's it like at 10 o'clock in the morning it could be a different place at 8 o'clock at night mm-hmm. so I'm safer using at 10 o'clock in the morning but I wouldn't go out there at 8 o'clock at night you know but if, I could if I had a few people with me yeah yeah and maybe like go back to this we started the conversation you know go on to the RSA website get the get the free high vis um, and like like that like there's so many free bits and bobs that you, the RSA give out I know they do them at various shows where there it's little um anklets if you're cycling that have a reflector on them you know there's and little flashy lights for the bike but it is important to to light up and be seen especially in these darker days exactly exactly i mean i worked the plowing on the picnic the last god knows how many years but like the plowing particularly in the tullamore show the amount of high visibility product that's given out you'd wonder where is it all disappearing because i have loads of ivies here we use them the, the kids wouldn't be sent out walking with the dogs without them Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, um, and that's even in the daytime, you know, and and they probably this whole is a cool like I, I I we go back and I know you're with time. I see this in the mornings when I drop my kids to school. Kids coming out in the uniform, they won't wear a coat. It could be lashing rain, but they won't wear a coat because it's not cool to wear a coat. Um, but it's dark uniforms. So yes, that 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 little safe piece when they design the uniforms, is there a chance that they could put a reflective quality into the jumper? 
or if they're putting half sips, make them make a high vis quality in them, you know? Yeah. Um, it's simple things, but it's just a change of mindset and a change of way we do things. That's the problem. That's the eternal battle we have. It's just well, changing. Mindsets. We live in a country where students are going to school in the dark and coming home from school in the dark for a significant portion of the academic year. And if, if they're being forced to wear something or if it's mandatory to wear something, then that something should be safe. That would be my take on it. But um, But the answer is that within the kids, there's no point as us adults trying to get them to do that. They need to come up with this themselves and realise this is a solution themselves. And maybe it's a young scientist uh, or a young entrepreneur project um, in the making. But Graeme Kavanagh, Sergeant Graeme Kavanagh, Crime Prevention Officer for Leash Offley. Thank you very much for joining us on Let's Go Green this week. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you're enjoying our show so far this week. Well, many of us over the years have spent time in Croke Park, whether it's going to support our GA teams or even for a concert or or even just maybe on a school tour to, to learn about the history of the GA. It's a place that's very, very familiar to the majority of Irish people and Croke Park in the last number of days has announced this new initiative around sustainability in the food that is served there. And to discuss this with me, I'm joined by Rory Boyce, who is the executive chef at Croke Park. Rory, you're very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thanks, Ashling. Rory, tell me first off, what on earth is a 50 mile menu? <laughs> so um yeah uh, 50 mile menus that's something we started looking at uh, about a year and a half ago and it was really for a one-off event we uh did in crow park and we had a look at where we were sourcing our food the catchment area the uh, diesel miles and transport packaging all that kind of stuff and we uh we drafted out an outline of a menu that we could uh, stand over that we sourced all ingredients from a 50 mile radius of our front door here at Jones's Road in Crow Park. And it became very uh, obvious to us very quickly that there was a huge abundance uh, of uh, ingredients uh, from our growers, uh, producers, suppliers in that area. Now, that changes from year to year. This particular menu that we did it on, we were very fortunate. It was the end of April, start of May. So we had a huge amount of provenance. But that kind of planted the seed. And should we really look at this in a bigger light? Should we uh, really investigate and scope into it? And it kind of led us to uh, the meetings that we've just recently launched here at the stadium, yeah? So, like, when I go as a regular punter to Croke Park, whether it's for a match or a concert, I'm thinking, you know, maybe people might be having some alcohol in plastic cups, you know, chocolate bars, uh, chips, something nice and greasy, maybe. You know, I don't think about a connection between... Now, there's nothing wrong with fast food. I'm not saying that. We all enjoy it on occasion. But I, I don't automatically make a connection between Krug Park and sustainability initiatives. So it is very interesting to see 
something like this coming out of Crow Park. So what where might we see this then if you're going to try going forward to have food that's served in Crow Park for different events be sustainable? Will that be for everything or just for, say, corporate events? So I suppose to look forward, we really need to look back. So this is not a new uh, journey. Um, our journey uh, began way back in 2007 when we really started looking into it. As an operator in the stadium, not just food, the entire operation with all stakeholders involved in the running of Crow Park. Uh, in 2008, Cool Green was developed as the Green Waste Management and Carbon Reduction Initiative that was launched in 2008. By 2014, we had achieved 0% waste to landfill, which was actually six years ahead of target. Um, uh, we had achieved um, ISO 2012-1 at that time. We then followed that through with ISO 14001, the first stadium in Ireland and Britain to achieve both of those uh, uh, international standards. Then by uh, 2018, uh, Crow Park and the GAA purchased a 70-acre farm in North County, Dublin, and that was to uh, grow the turf. So basically, it's to replace the pitch in Crow Park, and it also replaces various gold meds around the country. Now, with that farm, we decided that we would install a kitchen garden, polytunnel, stuff like that. Quite small at the time. Uh, some horticultural-minded chefs came up with me. We started growing herbs. We started growing chili peppers, chilies, tomatoes, and... Um, Plenty of different, um, plenty of different uh, uh, small veg and uh, fruit stuff like that. We put down some apple trees, and then in 2019, in association with uh, Fingal Beekeepers Association um, and Colin Fogarty, we installed five beehives, and from those by five beehives, column manages them for me and we produce honey from that, which we also incorporate into the menus. So leading up to today, you know. It's, you know, this is only the next step in a long process. Mm -hmm. We're the first stadium in the world to achieve uh, ISO 14001-2015 International Environmental Standard. So the menus that we've just recently launched are part of a long journey that we're still on. Uh, the 50-mile uh, radius menus is actually half of the menus that we do for um, Crow Park meetings and events. But the key thing here is the suppliers that we're using. So the suppliers that we're using are uh, enveloped into match days as well and concerts, the whole lot. So, you know, like, uh, so 50% of our meetings and events menus are from a 50-mile radius of the stadium. Okay. In order to achieve that, I had to break it down into spring and summer and autumn and winter. So mm -hmm. what we're doing now is no different to what chefs had to do 100, 120 years ago. We're just going back yeah. in time. You know, yeah. so it, 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 it's 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 not groundbreaking. It's very hard work. It took five months of several teams working on this, a lot of late nights, uh, a lot of research and a lot of work. And we're very proud of it. And like speaking of that hard work, like we're hearing like, you know, in the last couple of days in particular, there's been a tension on potato farmers and with the, the extreme wet weather we've had recently and the difficulty with that particular harvest. That means now that for your menus, you will have to be agile. You know, environmental changes will happen. Weather conditions will change. And that means that if you're not 
importing potatoes from elsewhere, if you're just getting, say, for, if you took the potatoes for as one example, that there will need to be a, a willingness to update as you go, depending on the environmental factors. Absolutely, 100%. And that, that is that is relayed to our clients, that flexibility that we will need in order to achieve what we want to achieve. And we found uh, great feedback and willingness to buy into that from our clients. You know, it's not, and I'm very aware of uh, the uh, potato issue at the moment, but like it, 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 it stretches out into, you know, seafood even. So, you know, for example, last year, there was an EU tie-up scheme quite early in December that, you know, kind of affected us and we had to, we had to amend menus. But mm-hmm. what we're finding is clients are quite open to that because, you know, we are, we are, um, there are several, uh, 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 factors out there that we're susceptible to. And that is weather, that is, you know, tie-up schemes, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if we need to uh, change menus, we change menus. I think, though, for venues of a smaller scale, that will be the fear that if they go down this sustainability route, that their clients won't be happy or their clients won't understand what they're trying to do. But it's great to hear from, you know, someone who organizes events on such a large scale that actually clients nowadays are willing to to be agile and adapt depending on the availability of food locally. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the great parts of our business is we can see into the future. We know what's booked. So we Mm. write and develop menus around that time, around the time of year, what's available to us. And like I said, there are some factors that could be a hard frost that could uh, 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 affect some produce. But, you know, Clients now, so if you look at a few stats, for example, you know, like 68% of 25, 34-year-olds would switch from their favorite retailer for not meeting sustainability standards. You know, a third of consumers willing to pay for a premium for sustainable products. You know, uh, 85% of consumers have become greener in purchasing in recent years, of 49% of consumers considering sustainability when buying food and drink. All of this data is coming back. That that's the flexibility that we're seeing with customers and clients and guests when we're faced with challenges along the supply chain. So then will we in time, do you think, see this trickle down into the non-corporate events, the concerts and the, 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 the fast food end of things at Krog Park? You know, is that even possible to become more sustainable in that part of the business? We are already because all of our packaging is um, uh, compostable. All of our beef burgers are all Irish. Uh, it's done by a company in Cork. You know, everything that we do, we question, we dive into. There are a number of things that, you know, it's beyond our control. We need to kind of look outside our shores. For example, you know, the sugar beet industry in Ireland closed down in 2006. Mm-hmm. I got to get in sugar, you know. There mm-hmm. are other things like that. Olive oil. There's no olive groves and mead, you know. Uh, tinned tomatoes. We go through quite a lot of tinned tomatoes. They're all Spanish and Italian, but it's the volume that we control. So, you know, a huge amount of our food purchasing in Crow Park by weight, by volume is down to our meats, down to our veg, down to all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's how we control it as well. So, for example, these sets of menus, 
they have, like I said earlier on, they've gone spring to summer and then autumn to winter. And what you'll find in the autumn and winter ones is this, sometimes they're quite repetitive, which goes against my nature as a chef. But I have what I have to hand and I got to stick to those seasons. I have to stick to the supply chain. We've got great partners through LaRousse, through Dole, all of these people. I, 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 I live in Mead myself and I'm surrounded by agriculture and farmland. I get my mushrooms and kerrigans and kells. Uh, Michael Finnegan uh, 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 over by Slane, he does this beautiful award-winning Boyne Valley Bon and Boyne Valley Blue Cheese. You know, like it would be a disgrace for me to drive past all these places and not mm-hmm. consider putting them on menus you know so there's so much out there like you know I'm very uh, conscious of the fact that you know we're, there's a huge reduction through autumn and winter so that's when the innovation that's when the creativity come from my team to try and innovate and you know make dishes really interesting with a, a reduced kind of harvest but there is still a lot there you know like it, I, I speak to uh, my guy Shane Giles and Kish Fish numerous times a week um, uh, because he's constantly updating me with what's available. You know, so again, if we went back and look at the 50 mile radius of Crow Park, I have a map here in front of me. The stark thing that I always point out to people is if you look at it, half it's in the sea because we're a coastal venue. Mm. So, you know, a lot of it relies on shellfish and stuff like that, you know. um, So, but not just to concentrate on the 50 mile, you know, like, we're getting by volume, we're getting 85% of our produce from the island of Ireland. All of our beef, Boyne Valley beef, we're getting Ballymooney lamb in, we're getting using Whelan's of Dublin sausages, the, the hot dogs on a match day, huge volume. They're made by Lucknans in Galway, you know. Um, even our hake, I remember uh, speaking to somebody last year, the Wednesday before the All Ireland football final, and I could stand there and say our hake is being landed into Dingle Harbour today by O'Kahani Ishk on board the vessel the cracker you know so yeah. it's that kind of it's that kind of it's uh, I'm constantly working five six seven months ahead doing all this research making sure I'm picking stuff at the right time of year absolutely uh, uh, zoning things in so with with the huge purchasing power I suppose we have that allows us quite a lot of uh, um, uh, you know, guarantees that, you know, we will get this, we will get that, we will get the other. So I get it with smaller uh, guys, restaurants, cafes and stuff like that. But they have what I don't have, which is a lot more flexibility that they have a blackboard that they can change their menu on a daily basis, you know. But in doing it at such a large scale and supporting all of those independent food producers around that, this is what we need to be doing and and creating that circular economy and supporting people. Like I know here in the Midlands and in Offaly in particular, we've so many amazing food producers that we all like we have to admit that maybe as you know regular members of the public we're not as familiar with that as we should be so by doing these kind of initiatives and giving those companies a chance to shine you know and lead by example it's it surely has to contribute to the overall um, economic viability of more sustainable practices um, for, for Ireland overall. It's um, it's fascinating to hear what goes on behind the scenes, Rory. As I said, you know, when we go as um, regular customers to Croke Park, we, we probably don't think about these things, but it is good to know that these efforts are being made. And, um, you know, and it's good to know that those, you know, if we all 
end up going to see the boss next May or maybe seeing Offaly in an All-Ireland final day someday in the next decade. Do you know, it'd be great just to know that the, the food that we eat on these days um, is as sustainable as it can be, given whatever circumstances there are at the time. So, so thank you very much for joining us on Let's Go Green and sharing that insight knowledge with us today, Rory. Very welcome, Ashley. And just, I suppose, one final thing that people will see as well. And my intention is to roll this out to all areas of Crow Park on matches and concerts is we have introduced uh, a climate impact scoring on every uh, dish that we're going to be doing in Crow Park. And this is in association with uh, Nutritics Food Print. So mm-hmm. again, uh, you know, we use Nutritics to incorporate highly reliable data on every ingredient. And Nutritics has over four and a half million uh, ingredients with a, 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 a carbon uh, impact score on it. So now our, our 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 aim with this is not to um not to uh, influence the carbon uh, scoring but to uh, show people uh, what kind of a carbon score the each individual menu item that they've chosen so people you know a lot of things are red for example and you'll see that an awful lot in red meats and it, it it's down to the processing so you know it, it, these metrics are based on agriculture processing packaging and transport and all of this is done so we have now got a, a carbon uh, impact score on every single menu item that we have for meetings and events in Crow Park. And like I said, my intention is to put that on every burger or fries or whatever so everybody can see quite openly whether it's green, whether it's red, whether it's amber. And that really puts the power back into your hands as a guest or a client. Absolutely. Well, Rory Boss, uh, Rory Boyce, Executive Chef at Crow Park. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. You're very welcome. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Now, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on this week's episode of the programme, it is indeed Science Week and Science Week happens right around the country every year. And it encourages young people in particular to to get involved in science, to, to see like just the variety of of ways science helps us and innovation and all of that. But there are a number of activities happening in the Midlands in particular for Science Week, some of which have an environmental twist. So to talk more about this from Midlands Science Week, we're joined by Cridon Omerku. Cridon, welcome to the programme. Hi, Ashing. Thank you for having me. So um, talk to me first, for people who haven't heard about Science Week and Midlands Science Week in, in particular, what are the kind of things that are happening this week? Um, so we have a, a, range, a wide range of activities and events for people to engage in, to participate in. Um, we you know, try to cater for a wide you know, array of people and interests, uh, people who may have attended a science event previously, people who may know a scientist already or that, and people who you know, don't engage in science, who don't know much about science, who don't know a scientist. So the, the primary aim of Science Week is to increase what we call people's science capital, you know, to get them engaged in science, to make them aware of science and scientists in the world around them, and especially in the Midlands region. Okay. 
And there are loads of events happening this week, aren't there, Cardon? Like, you know, there's there's so much variety really on offer. Yeah, so like ourselves, we're running about 20 events, uh, maybe 25, depends on how you want to count them. But we're covering everything from the science of open water swimming to the science of menopause and music. And then looking to later in the week, looking at the science of climate change and agriculture and how that affects Ireland. Okay. Okay. Um, I love how open water swimming now has its own title. It's not just swimming anymore. That one always gives me a laugh. Um, but um, and the idea here is to encourage all of us to just to think a little bit more and to maybe see the connections a little bit more. Definitely. I mean, people may not even realize the the science they interact with in their daily lives. You know, when from the moment you wake up to switching on the lights, to turning on the kettle, to boil a cup of tea, you know, whether you, you think it or not, you are engaged in science. You rely on science for everything you do. You know, you get in to your car, turn it on, drive to work or school or whatever the case may be. You, you are actively participating in science, just maybe not aware of it. Um, or perhaps, you know, people may not be engaged with science. Or again, you know, if people aren't familiar with a scientist or don't know a scientist, uh, they don't have a parent or guardian that they can kind of turn to and ask questions about particular things, it can be a lot tougher to get those people interested or engaged in science. Mm. So part of the the reason we do this like range of activities and part of why we we maintain that it's free, you know, at the the point of access to people is that we want these things to be accessible. We want people to engage in them. We want people to learn and be excited by science um, because we think it's brilliant. We think it's wonderful, but it's no use us thinking that and the general public not realizing that or not engaging with it in the same way. I loved science in school. I loved, we went in, I remember there was um in my the first secondary school, I went to, I'm going in in the first day of class and we were showed a sheep's brain in a jar and I thought it was the most fascinating thing on the planet. Now, I clearly didn't go into a career in science, but it is an area that has always interested me. And I think we're getting more discussions around potential careers in science for young people now, particularly with, our knowledge around climate change and we're becoming so much more aware of, you know, the fact that science is it's no longer um, a job where someone goes off and works in a lab or works in an academic setting that's and is completely removed from science. We we now have a better understanding, I think, as a public that we need scientists to help us tackle climate change, to help us address the changes that the, the planet is going through. And this is going to be the subject of a talk hosted by Midland 103's own Claire O'Brien um, this coming week. So, so tell us about the, um, the conversation on Ireland's climate future that's taking place in the Midlands Park Hotel on the 17th. Yeah, so taking place in the Midlands Park in Port Leash on November 17th, we are going to have a, a conversation, you know, a conversational deep dive into Ireland's climate future um, and what that might look like. <clears throat> so we have a number of speakers. We've got Keith Lampkin from uh, Aaron, um, who is probably busy at the moment figuring out the, the weather warning we're going to be facing. And uh, we've got Dr. Keen White from Farm Zero uh, Carbon Project. So a researcher in Trinity. And then we have John McHugh, who is a previous dairy farmer, but turned organic um, once, you know, he kind of became aware of the the impact that he personally was having, you know, through his, through his job, through his career. So 
we have no speakers. And as you mentioned, Claire O'Brien is emceeing the event. And we're hoping that it will kind of cast a light or, you know, on the, I suppose, the impact of climate change uh, on Ireland uh, that's already occurring, the, the future impacts that climate change may have on Ireland. And then looking at, you know, Port Leash in the Midlands, a uh, very agricultural based mm. area, you know, and that's why we wanted to get people engaged in, you know, what can we do in agriculture to reduce our emissions, to reduce our impact on nature, reduce our impact on the biodiversity. Because we know these things are happening. We know that, you know, a good third plus of our emissions comes from agriculture in Ireland. Um, and we know that we have to reduce those emissions. There, there's no argument in, in that. You know, we have to reduce these emissions. But we have to ensure that people, you know, have jobs. We have to ensure people's livelihoods are maintained. We have to ensure that the things we do now are not just restorative for the planet and for the environment, but also restorative for those you know small and medium sized farms. And like, you know, in the Midlands, we, we need to be leading the way when it comes to rewetting of boglands. If we look at the example, say, of Abbey Leaks bog and, and the, the, the success of that particular project, you know, it's um, change is already underway. So it's great to have these opportunities to recognize these efforts, isn't it also? Absolutely. I, like there definitely is. I would be wary of using the, the word opportunity like myself personally, but like there is a chance to do things differently. You know, we know the science, we know what has to be done uh, and we have the solutions to this problem. It's now just about enacting them, how we enact them and how we ensure that people are, are brought along, how we ensure that, you know, the Midlands community in Leash in Blonford, Westmead, Offaly, how they are brought along in this process. And it will be difficult. There will be disagreements. There will be, you know, things that people may find, so, you know, some people might find easier than others. But that is why we want to be part of this conversation uh, and part of like pushing this conversation to people and saying, look, this is your chance to engage in it. This is your chance to ask experts questions. This is your chance to to learn more about the science and how it will impact you, maybe not directly, but most definitely indirectly. And that's a really good um, point because like we're getting, it's great. We live in an information world. We can access information. We can look on, we can find scientific journals if we want to go down that particular rabbit hole. But there's so much information that if you're not educated in that particular area, it can all be terribly overwhelming and it can be very frightening for people. And so an opportunity to attend an event like this, to ask the questions and to get answers in plain English so that, you know, we can figure out how we might be able to contribute best to this. So so this is open to the public. Do do they need tickets to attend or or how do we go about um, booking a place for it? Yeah, if you go to our website, midlandscience.ie, you can find the Science Week events and go to the Eventbrite from there. Uh, alternatively, you can go to eventbrite.ie or eventbrite.com and search Midland Science and you'll find us there. So you're looking for Midland Science and the event again is the 17th. Today's the 13th. So the 17th is Thursday, am I correct in saying, in the Midlands Park okay. Hotel? Friday, Friday. Friday. My apologies. Friday. Right. I'm I'm losing track of the days of the week here, Cradon. So Friday <laughs> in the Midlands Park Hotel. What time is it at? It will start around seven p.m. Around seven p.m. So um, so get people in there. We'll have a tea, a tea or coffee for them as well, um, and it's free to attend for anyone. 
fantastic. And if you're looking for tickets for that, just go to Midlands Science or even Eventbrite and type in Midlands Science. Well, Cordon Omaraku, thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. And of course, if you want to find out more about events that are happening across the Midlands for Science Week, do look up Midlands Science website and they will have details of the nearest events to your location. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid. Managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. I hope you do check out that climate change conversation that's happening on Friday evening in the Midlands Park Hotel as part of National Science Week and all the events that are happening across the Midlands for Science Week here. It's an opportunity to go, to pop along, to speak to experts, to get your questions answered, you know, to ask those burning questions that you might not have figured out yet. You know, it's always, I don't know about you, but I find when I Google things, unless I know exactly what I'm Googling, it can sometimes be very difficult to find the answers because there is just so much information out there. So it's always helpful to pop along to these events, to support these events, first of all, of course, but to pop along and get your questions answered from someone who knows what they're talking about, from experts in the field. And there will be plenty of them there on Friday evening in the Park Hotel in Port Leash. You can find out more about Science Week and the events that are happening right across the Midlands, of course, this week by going on to midlandsscience.ie that's midlandsscience.ie or indeed check out Eventbrite if you have the app on your phone just open the app Eventbrite and type in Midlands Science If you missed our show last week we're celebrating our reaching over 100,000 listens on our podcast. So thank you once again for um, tuning in each and every week through midlands103.com on the podcast section. Our show goes out each and every week on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. So please do give us an old subscribe or a follow, depending on what app you're um, using. And sure, you never know, you might, uh, if you're feeling generous, give us a positive review. That is, I'm afraid, all we have time for on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. My thanks to the contributors this week and each and every week. And if you'd like to suggest an item for the show, please feel free to get in contact with me through midlands103.com. Click on the on-air team and you'll find a photo of me and my name, Ashling O'Rourke. Send me an email directly if there's something that you're organising that you want us to give airtime to. If there is something that we can help with, maybe there's a conversation that you'd like us to have because you've got this burning question. Well, please do get in contact with me and I will try to get back to you as quickly as I can. Have a great week, stay safe and let's go green. We'll be back on Midlands 103 same time next week. Let's go green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more.